Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Kempi, morena to you. Morena, brother. How's things? It's, uh, yeah, nice to be in, mate, even though it was a lack of sleep because of the NRL Grand Final last night. Wasn't that good, mate? And Penrith going on an absolute clinic. Taking out every division possible, mate, in the the NRL over in Aussie, mate. From 16s, 18s, 20s, reserve grade, through to the premiers. So, um, yeah, mate, a little bit... uh, a little bit wary on it this morning, but looking forward to chomping into the week. Got lots on, lots on still. Lots on, Kempe. Yeah, that was an outstanding final. Well, just a one-sided affair, wasn't it? Penrith Panthers just uh, showing their class throughout the season and well, for the last couple of years, boys. And uh, it's yeah, it's been a hell of a journey, and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon, mate. That uh, they are showing all signs. Pathways, everything building for the future. They're going to lose a couple of big names, but no doubt some big names will be coming through the system. We'll talk about that throughout the morning for sure. Coming up after 7 o'clock, we're going to talk some Formula 1 as Sergio Perez took out the latest event in Singapore in a race to have it all. Ed Spencer will join the show to cover the latest. Looking forward to ripping in some F1. Um, and then after 7.40, we're going to open up the phone lines. Like Kempe just said, to talk the grand final. They are open throughout the entire show, but 740 were dedicating some time for this. They won every comp right down to the under-18s. have won 67 of 78 games. Can they be stopped? Dylan Edwards, Clive Churchill Medal, Nathan Cleary, Jerome Loy, they just look like a team <laughs> just building a dynasty and just going to be very, very tough to beat going forward. So we're going to talk some... Uh, talk some league, and then after eight, NPC top eight teams have been confirmed. Northland Tanifar surprised many this year, creating history during the season, and finally making the playoffs. It's a tough ask taking on Canterbury uh, down here in Ototahi Christchurch, but coach, and get this, my first ever NPC coach, George Cornia, will be doing everything this week to give them a chance, and George will join the show just after eight. So looking forward to. Having a chat to my former coach there, Kempe. He's a good man. And then on that, 
Got to get a wee update, don't we, of where the competition's at. Not the NPC, the Kempi and Izzy's NPC competition. Get a wee update there. Uh, yeah, tough, tough old arse. Anyway, I'm probably giving away the, the answer right there. But anyway, we'll uh, do a little announcement and the winner gets to pick where they're going for lunch. So, yeah, look forward to shouting. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing who that is, actually. Must be close. <laughs> <laughs> Must be close. Anyway, go, go uh, on, go on. Don't start. Mate, it was, it was good. Like, honestly, the NPC this year, I've really enjoyed watching it, seriously. Same, you know, obviously, um, having something on it makes it even more interesting. But, you know, just watching the games, like the one on the weekend, how did Waikato get that game against the Bay, mate? You oh. know what I mean? Like... All they had to do was catch the ball, kick the ball out. Catch the ball, kick the ball out. You know, a bit like deja vu, mate, the Aussies. You got the ball, oh. kick it out. Get the line out, kick it out, win the game. So, yeah, mate, I feel uh, feel sorry for the Bay boys. So they go back again this weekend and play Waikato on a semi up there for their home. They might get them the second time. But, mate, the competition's so close, you know. I know, I know yeah. your boys down there. In the red and black, the um, and Otatahi, they're the they're the favourites, hundred um, percent. But yeah. yeah, some some real, some real interesting. Um, I guess uh, the one got one the one that was real interesting was obviously we we may have changed a few minds over the last few weeks talking about Roger on the on the edge, and he gets mm. named at twelve but plays on the on the on the edge. I I think they're trying to find you know personally I think they're trying to find that spot for him you know to keep him in that All Black team. So be interesting to get your thoughts on that as too. And um, although it was a great NRL game last night, uh, I got to say I was really disappointed. I I was frustrated at the officiating. I thought it was to be honest in a to be brutal. I thought it was poor, absolutely yeah. poor from everyone from the referee to the to the touchies, to the dreaded bunker, honestly. Mm. Um, but, yeah, some big calls and just some inconsistencies, which you hope this time of year, I've always said it, when you get into the finals, referees play a massive part in the game and just their perception on the way the game's going, man, they were romanced 100% mm. by Panther side who'd been so dominant over the last three years and allowed the Penrith Panthers to get away with absolute murder, in my in my opinion. But um, not not taking nothing away from that when Penrith, you know, they've run a clinic over the last um, two years, and you're dead right. Whether or not they can do it without Kiki on Curacao leaving, um, might take them a couple of years to build that, rebuild that. But gee, though, they have absolutely got the NRL by the short and curlies across the board, in my opinion. Yeah. So um, yeah, well, you and Mark are on the on the same page here, Kempi. He's already messaged him. Morning, boys. Kempi, what did you think about the officiating in the grand final? Last I played footy for over twenty years, and I've seen three players kicked while on the ground. The person that did it every time got sent off. Now, how come with the bunker ref and touch judges doesn't the grub Luai get sent off? That is from Mark. So he's kind of on the same page here, Kempi. I was having a little catch up this morning. It's too late for me on a Sunday to watch watch the full. Game. I was. I watched the build up. You know, the <coughs> gone. So I've caught up with it this morning. But mate, the refereeing it obviously played a huge part. Did you see that stuff uh, involving Luai? Oh, mate, not just that, but just the way that they talk to the referees, and you know, like you should be putting them on notice straight away. And you know, they just. 
all I can think about is the referees are romanced by the, the Penrith narrative. And yeah. other teams would never get away with it. No, I would never, ever get away with it. And some of the inconsistencies last night, I just, you know, in the end, I was I was actually talking to the TV, which I never do, mm. saying, come on, you know, like this is the biggest game. I felt for Brad Arthur. His side just couldn't get the calls or any momentum shift to keep them in the game, and Penrith blew them off the park. They just ran a clinic, you know. But there's things in the game that they do that the referees just, they don't, they don't hold them accountable for. And... And their second and third effort and tackles and, and the way that they just constantly bait referees and players and get away with it, mate. If I was if I was Brad Arthur, that you know, he should have picked up on that during the week and he should have ran a more of a clinic with the media and around Ashley Klein and and, and the attitude that he took into that game. So, um, but in saying that, Penrith are by far the better team. Like their defence is he honestly? I've never seen a game. I looked at the clock. And it was 14 minutes gone. I've never seen a game where, across the board, players were hitting so consistently and stopping blokes on the advantage line. And it was just like it was like a bulldozer. They just kept pushing them back, and then the field position was really hard for Parramatta to get out of their own half. Their kicking game was really short, and of course Dylan Edwards um, tipped them for the for the the Clive he Churchill. Did had an absolute blinder because he was getting that ball on the front foot. But if that kid doesn't get named in the kangaroo squad, you know, I'll eat my hat. He's got to yeah. go away with him, as a, even as a utility, because every time he plays, he's like, he's like you know, the, the energy bunny. He just gives his, his hundred, you know, every time. So they, they had good players across the board, but I thought Dylan Edwards was a, was a worthy recipient of the Clive Churchill. Oh, mate, you, you picked it, Kempi. You definitely picked it last week, and uh, mate, it is phenomenal. Ball in hand. Yeah, you did right. Look, they've got some competition back there. They've got some competition, but he has to go, mate. He's Clive Churchill winner, and uh, obviously last year was on crutches in the grand final. This year, does, does a whole U-turn and gets gets the job done and was very influential. And that kick out on the, in the middle there and running on those edges, the he's going to be a big miss. He is going to be a big loss for them. Look, you look at Cleary, every time he goes to the line, or every time Luai goes to the line, that kick out's running that great line, and then they just seem to find time. They always go out the back or they hit the front ball. He just draws in so many defenders. He's going to be a huge loss. Who, who do you think could be, you could see filling that void there, Kempe? Well, he's he's such a big man. Um, look, I, they've got they've got big men. You know, that's what they call them, the mountain men down there at the Blue Mountains, Penrith. Um it's not that. It's that he can play footy. You know, like he's a he's a giant of a man with a with with skills of a five eight. You know, he picked the ball up off the ground. He's just about scored a try last night. Got it knocked out by um, Wagga Blake just in the last inch of the um, the put down. And just every time he runs to the line, you've just got to stop. As a defender, you can't do anything. If you move off him, he goes through the line, or he put or he pushes. You know, defenders around and, and they have so much fun. That's why Brian Thor scores so many tries. That's why Luai looks so good because he's got a beast of a defender and attacker on on the on the inside of him. Um, but yeah, uh, where where he comes from, mate. Well, they win one every other grade in the competition, so there's there's got to be you think one coming through in those four co- yeah. four teams below them. Um, but that was you know the grand final. Even though that was happening last night, for me is he that you know what you said this morning like. Our mate Ryan Fox, mate, winning the golf mm. is another thing that happened overnight, you know. And mm. four, was four shots behind last round, gets up, 
When's it by shot? That must be that must be you know proud Fano time for his dad, you know. And um, it's, it's, and of course for Ryan was always on a heater this year, wasn't he? Yeah, he's been flying, but he had a little bit of an injury scare. Um, was having a barbecue at home, something freakish. You know, he did a little turn and had to pull out of his latest event. Actually, missed the President's Cup. Ryan Fox, he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. And uh, obviously winning his second DP Tour event, yes, there's a message come through. We had that news, great news overnight. Foxy winning by one shot, $1.46 million coming to Foxy's back pocket after a big old win. Um, But, mate, awesome to see Foxy. He's he's 46th in the world, and no doubt uh, the rankings will be coming down even more. And obviously when you win, Kempe, you get some you get some invites to some pretty special events. So no doubt the invites to some big majors and some big events going forward will be on the cards for Foxy. But mate, he is absolutely flying at the moment. He is on he's got so much confidence. You gotta think. Last week you spoke to Daniel Hillier, young golfer, trying to crack into the DP World Tour. Now you got Ryan Fox, so Kiwi Golf, you got Lydia Ko, she's in contention in her latest event as well. Mate, New Zealand golf is in a very, very good to hold at the moment. And uh, it's it's great to see. And hopefully we can get some reaction throughout the day on Foxy's win. Uh, we obviously got the news when we woke up. So uh, we're trying to scramble and see if we can get someone on to, to have a chat about that. But um, throughout the day, I'm sure the rest of the shows will be reacting to it. Because Foxy, he is just flying at the moment. I mean, he's got to win a major, Kempe. He has to. He's given, he's given himself chances. Plenty of times, but mate, he has to go forward and win a major. He'll be our next major winner, I feel. We're going to talk some F1 under slippery conditions in Singapore. Sergio Perez continues Red Bull's dominance, claiming the win over Ferrari's Leclerc. Or has he? I've just read a little update that they might be upheld. And Sainz, who rounded out the podium, Max Verstappen, meanwhile struggled to make up ground after a poor start and finished in seventh meaning he'll have to wait another week to try and secure his second consecutive world title. Ed Spencer from Motorlat follows all things motorsport over there in the UK, and he's on us on the line with us this morning to reflect on what has been a frustrating weekend for the championship leader. Ed, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Firstly, can you explain what went on with Max Verstappen in qualifying? Pleasure for joining, uh, gents. It's good to hear from you. Good to hear you keeping well. I think with Verstappen, it was an interesting scenario because he looked on edge during, particularly in Q3, when he was approaching sector three, which was more of a, which was still very damp to the final set stages of, of qualifying. But his second run, I think, was ruined by, I believe it was a yellow flag. I'm not quite sure. The third one is a real mystery. Is a re- was a real mystery because he was on song. He was fastest in Q- sector two. And then he stopped, and we found out later on that it was, you know, a lack of fuel. Now, mm. understandably, Red Bull don't want to risk having not enough fuel uh, to, for, the staff, for, for the scrutineers because in the past we've had drivers who have stopped on track and they've lost, you know, podiums, lost pole positions. So it was probably a wise, it was a wise decision from them. But for me, it was a it was a difficult race for Verstappen. He looks. I, I would say that was probably Verstappen's most difficult race because he looked on edge. He had a lot of work to do, made some very uncharacteristic mistakes. And, mm. you know, I think he'll be very happy to finish P7 because 
at one stage, it looked like he was going to get P9 at, at best. Hey, Ed, I see it was pretty wet over there in Singapore overnight. Um, was there talk about the race not going ahead at all? Um, the race was going to go ahead anyway, but obviously we got it delayed. So in the UK, we were supposed to start at 1 o'clock, but of course we got it moved to 2.05. So, mm. yeah, it, it was a little annoying. For, I had uh, a couple of co- couple of pe- colleagues on the, on the ground, and they said it was torrential, and it was only started to spit before we were set to go off. But, of course, it bucketed down. And safety first, but of course... I do yeah. wonder why we had to wait for the track to be dried out. We have wet tyres for a reason. It's not like uh, NASCAR, for example, when they don't have wet tyres and putting them on a wet track would be dangerous. So mm. a little annoying, but I suppose you have to think of safety first in this in this case. Yeah, speaking of safety, there was a little incident with Sergio Perez in the safety car, and uh, there's obviously a little bit of a debate at the moment. What's, I think I was just having a look then. Maybe there's going to be uh, uh, the... The outcome is going to be overturned, and maybe Vince Charles Leclerc is going to get the get the win there. Have you got any update on on what's happening there and and what's about to unfold? Well, 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 the FIA have just given a verdict. Um, Perez has got one five second penalty, and that's for the third time he breached the rules. And the only other yep. pe- the only other thing he picked up was a reprimand, so he retains his victory, obviously by a reduced okay. margin. But that's one of the reasons why Hubert told him to put his foot down because. They knew they would probably get a five-second penalty, at mm. least, and he needed to build the gap up against the clerk. And it would have been a crying shame for Perez to lose what had been a, a magnificent victory, considering that it was lights for flag. He didn't look like he was going to put a foot wrong. And it would have been very sad if he had lost a win through a very small infringement. Mm. Hey, what about Ferrari? They've had a pretty bad year when it comes to sort of their tactics. What do you think of their efforts this weekend? I think Ferrari threw what threw the kitchen sink at, at what is effectively their last chance to try and rein back the championships from Red Bull and Verstappen. It went well in qualifying with Charles on pole, but I have to say we might be looking at a different scenario if Leclerc hadn't bogged down on the line. If you look at the start, Charles got away okay, but he didn't. He lost the lead straight away from che- to Checo, and. Near the end of the race, Charles was closing, but a couple of slides there and then because the track was still a little bit wet in some places, cost him the win. For science, it was more a case of, you know, from the from lap one onwards, you know, the top two broke away and he was going to have to fight off Hamilton, which later turned out to be Norris. But it was a solid day for Carlos. P3 is probably the best he could have hoped for. But yeah, Ferrari will probably be probably be kicking themselves because, as, as I said, this is probably their last chance to try and stop the championships going to Milton Keynes and to Holland. What about uh, a good weekend for McLaren with Norris and Ricardo finishing fourth and fifth respectively? Will that give them optimism Optimism for next year? And what's happening with Ricardo? Do we know what he's doing? Well, at the moment, Ricardo was seen coming out of the Mercedes motorhome, so there is rooms going around that he is going to be a reserve driver. Um, as for McLaren on a whole, it was a very good weekend because now they move into fourth in the Constructors' Championship considering Al- with Alpine not scoring. And it was a confidence booster for, for Norris and Ricardo, considering that the last few rounds hadn't been easy for them. So they can take a lot of personal satisfaction 
But next year, they will have a lot of work to do if they want to get back into that top three with Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull. Um, what, what that may be, I don't know, because next year's cars are set to be an evolution of this year's. So it may be a case that they have to do minor tweaks there and then maybe produce something that is a bit out of the ordinary. Perhaps. So it'll be a, there'll be a long uh, look at the rule book over the winter at Woking. Do you think that Daniel Ricciardo regrets leaving Red Bull at all after seeing the success per, uh, Perez has had playing second fiddle to Verstappen? I think it's difficult to really assess Ricciardo. I think he probably saw the opportunity at Alpine, sorry, at, Ren- at Renault because they were a team on the up and at Red Bull, it looked like he would be Verstappen's number two. And for a time, it looked like Ricardo had made the right choice, particularly in 2020 when Renault were on the podium, you know, occasionally. But I do think he will regret it now, considering that Red Bull have really progressed with the Honda engine, which I believe was one of the reasons why he was so sceptical about staying at Red Bull, because the Honda power unit, which at the time wasn't partic- wasn't very good in the fact that McLaren had had it, it been a disaster, Tor Rosso, you know, they couldn't really assess it too much because, you know, Tor Rosso were a midfield team. I do think he will regret it. But if you know Daniel Ricciardo, and I, I've spoken to him very occasionally in the paddock, he's not the kind of person who tends to regret too much. He's a very, he's a very much one of those people who says, well, it happened for a reason. All right. This is something that's really fascinated me. Lance Stroll often being criticised for not earning his seat. What did you think of his performance today that got him P6? Obviously, he's got a very wealthy father. Very good, actually. You know, P6, he was doing a tremendous job holding off a four-time world champion, a seven-time world champion, and last year's world champion. So he's Mm. definitely... It was definitely a drive where you can see the Stroller 2020 comeback. Obviously, with this year's car, it's a bit difficult to really prove yourself. And when you've got a five-time world champ, sorry, four-time world champion alongside you, that adds even more pressure. But we see that occasionally when the pressure is off, Stroll can really perform. And today, he really shines. But of course, mm. you know, it's not been Lance's best year. Yes, he's been in the points quite a, you know, on quite a few occasions. But I think Aston Martin and him in general would have liked to have made a step up from 2021, which was a season of promise which never delivered. Mm. You know, he'll take definitely a lot of confidence from that P6. All right, another one, off the track. Off the track, you've got two of the biggest personalities in Formula 1. You've got Christian Horner and Toto Wolff. Obviously, lots going on with the Bates, salary cap. What's going on here, mate? And Are we going to get an outcome from this situation? Well, we are set to get an outcome... Uh, next week, we believe it'll be midweek, so it'll be Wednesday or Thursday before the Japanese Grand Prix. Um, from what people are saying, it, t- it is Red Bull and Aston Martin, although I would, I'm not going to pass judgment on that just yet because I'd like to see the full report from the FIA. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of you know sniping in the media, particularly from Mr. Wolf and Mr. Horner. Wolf not ha- happy yeah. with the fact that they had to make staff redundant. Horner not happy with the fact that this is all coming out just before the coronation at Suzuka. Uh, we'll have to see what happens, but it's a big test for the FIA with the budget cap because I think a lot of teams have cut back on their spending. They have had to move staff on. And if it's not going to be properly enforced, 
there'll be questions regarding what is the point of it. Bearing in mind the big teams have struggled to keep inside the limit this year. As early as Monaco, they were saying, well, we're running on used parts, we need it extended, blah, blah, blah. Now is a case where we really find out if there's a point of the budget cap. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money in the world we're living in. It's only going to get tougher and tougher out there, mate. Quickly, just before we get, let you go, one last question. Is there any chance for Stappen doesn't end up winning the championship? <laughs> uh, I said this last. I said this last time. No, and I still don't think it will <laughs> unless we unless something unless something at the Place de la Concorde tells us otherwise. Um, no, I expect him to to wrap it up next weekend at Suzuka. If not Austin, yep. it's been a circuit which has been kind to him, particularly last year. So I don't see it being changed. Nah, Max Verstappen flying at the moment. Appreciate you coming on, Ed Spencer, and talking about all the latest from the F1 Singapore. Sergio Perez getting the job done for Red Bull. Thank you so much, Ed. Appreciate your time, mate. Cheers, gents. Have a good day, everyone in New Zealand. Every man and his dog knew that this NRL Finals was Penrith to lose rather than Parramatta's to win. What a final. Penrith, you were just too clinical and ran your race to perfection. What wasn't perfect and rather disappointing, however, was the officiating. Instead of enjoying the final for the spectacle it was, last night I found myself getting frustrated by the lack of consistency shown by both the ref, the touchies, and also the dreaded bunker. At the time, and the time has come to make the call. Can someone at the NRL please get rid of the bloody bunker? Last night's obstruction call on Viliama Kukau's decoy which led to Brian Toto's second try, only reaffirms no matter how many replays you look at, the decision always comes down to an individual's perception and in every wrong call, human error. Ashley Klein and his sign-on officials, in my opinion, were also way off the pace. The lack of accountability for referees and officials are letting the game down. Only six weeks ago, before the final series, Mr Klein was suspended for an absolute shocker when the Cowboys stole the game against the Tigers in the dying seconds. The very next week, Nathan Cleary gets suspended against South for a spear tackle for four weeks. And here's why we need to shut the bunker down and start holding referees accountable. Nathan Cleary just didn't get four weeks. It also ruled him out of the Dally M Awards. The same penalty should include officiating. Ashley Klein should have not refereed the final because of his suspension. Simple. Next year... I'm calling no more bunker. Get rid of it and make referees more accountable. Tidy this part of the game up and we will be much better off. Off the back fence with Tony Kemp. Bang, bang, bang. 0800-150-811. Can our tire phone line, they are open. They are for you to come through and voice your concerns, your opinion, your summation of what unfolded last night, the NRL Grand Final, the Penrith Panthers getting the job done, 28-12, Kempe's come through, get rid of the bunker, referees should be held accountable, there's been a lot of talk about refereeing as of late, Kempe, not only in the game of rugby league, rugby union as well, should referees front media or be have, uh, have to sit down on a panel and, and, and hear from them week in, week out, should they have to... You know how as players we are held accountable every single week. We are we are 
previewed, we have our performances are reviewed in the public every single day, and we have to front media as well. Mm. Potentially, there's been a lot of talk about lately referees having to front the media. Getting rid of the bunker, Brunker's been a controversial thing for a very long time, and they haven't shied away from it. It has had some big impacts on some results over the last couple of years. Will the NRL make that call? Can you see them back-turning and going away and getting rid of the bunker? What is the solution? What is the... What's another way? What's another way going forward? Do you reckon we just human error, have no one else impacting the game or just just relying on these three referees to make the final call? But we have to have, there has to be a solution. What is that? Look, I I watched the 2011 grand final because it's grand final week. All over grand final, you know, for the last 20 years gets played and I was watching the Warriors play um, Manly. Remember that? Two referees. Remember that? We had two referees refereeing games. And now we've got back to gone back to one referee, and then they bring the bunker in. the The problem with the bunker is it's all down to human perception. You know what I mean? So no matter how many replays you look at, if the guy looking at the replays gets it wrong, that's, it doesn't matter whether he's in the bunker or not. It's just the wrong call. And and what it does for me, the bunker, is it takes away the referee's ability to make a call and hold him accountable. And what do I say? Why I say that? is that they're protected. Like, I don't want to make a call, don't want to lose my job, therefore I'm going to throw it upstairs and he can get the sack. Whereas yep. when we're playing, we're held accountable. You know what I mean? We have to front every week. We've got to go to training. We've got to play. If our form's bad, we get dropped. And I reckon it's t- it's time to stop protecting the referees in games and hold them accountable. If they are not up to it, and I thought Ashley Klein was poor. Last night, in the, especially the first 20, 25 minutes, I thought he could have, could, have, could have called six again on numerous occasions. You know, Penrith running the cutter and their defensive by moving the hips of players when they're making that third man into the tackle and they shift and lift the bottom of the guy's hips and move him another metre and it slows the plate down and it gets Penrith off the front foot and gets him stuck in, stuck in off the line. Now, he should have been calling six again every time, but it took until the 52nd minute for him to call six again. And by that mm. stage, it was too late for Parramatta. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's one... It's 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 a t- it's a it's a tough one. They invest all this money in it. They've got to make it work. Well, you need to invest money in referees that know how to make decisions because the ones that are sitting in the bunker making them get it too wrong too often. Yeah, look, it's one of the things I, I agree. Can be like is we talk about trying to speed the game up, and that's only the, probably a blight on the game of league. It's very fast. There's a lot of ball and play. It is a, it is entertaining to watch, but every single time you're dead right, these referees are second-guessing their, their first instincts. And as a player, that is the worst thing you can do because you lose sight of what's happening and what's unfolding in front of you. So these refs are constantly going up because you're dead right. They have been held to, held to ransom if they if they do get it wrong. And they're relying on their bunker to keep going up. And there's been some howlers over the last couple of years. But I would rather a ref follow his instincts and, and rely on what he's seen and what's unfolded and make that decision out there, and potentially he might get it wrong. And don't get me wrong, there is a, probably a time where someone can help at a game-defining moment. Game-defining moment, it's going to have a huge impact on the result. Maybe that time, but for me, I don't know about you, I would rather see a referee go out there, make that decision, and then get it wrong, and then have him, have him to say, put his hand up, I'm a human, I've made a mistake. 
Well, after 10 of the best rounds of action I've seen of MPC rugby in years, the competition has been whittled down to the final 18s. The Tanifa locked up their place in the quarterfinals yesterday with a convincing win over Manawatu. two. They now travel down south to face Canterbury and look to hand the juggernaut their second loss of the season. It'll be a tough ask, but if anyone can motivate his players to put forward a Herculean effort, it's the pride of the North. Tani Farhead coach and my first ever coach, George Cornia, and he's on the line now. Morena, George. Morena, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Great to have you on, George. Mate, appreciate your time. How you been, my friend? And you must be extremely proud. Obviously, you haven't done the job yet, but... Mate, you surprised many, including myself, to get you know six out of ten games. You must be pretty proud, coach. Yeah, very proud. Um, it's been a it's been a hell of a ride this year, and um, probably mm. just the result of all the hard work that we've been doing, mate. Um, you know, nothing comes easy yep. these days. So I'm um, just yeah, working hard and, and staying connected as a group. It's been bloody good. Yeah, so if you can pinpoint it on, on certain things, like it might be in, in the community, the club rugby scene, what is a sudden change? I mean, you've obviously sensed it's been coming for a while. You showed, you showed glimpses last season, but you've just got so much confidence. I think that game against Auckland was a turning point for yourself, at home in front of your own fans, getting the job done. Is that, what, what can you pinpoint it to? I think um, like uh, this, the result of what we're seeing today uh, is, is it started back in um, back in November last year. So obviously we had a, you know, we weren't happy with with what happened last season. So we had to strip it all back, um, and we started um, just being a bit smarter. I think we re- retained really well, we recruited really well, and we turned up to, uh, in the season really fit. But um, apart from that, I think our, our players really understand um, who we play for and what we represent. So I'm very proud when we go out there and put that blue. Blue jersey on, mate, and just go out there and, and give it 100% every time. It's um, it's been a, as I said, it's been a, a result of a lot of hard work, though. Um, Gilda George, yeah, no, it's been good watching the Tunny Five. Enjoy, enjoy the way you guys have been playing this year. But, but the last couple of games, how are the boys feeling, mate? They must be pretty sore, knowing that they've got a, a big one coming up. Yeah, going down to Canterbury is always going to be a tough ask, but you know we're not going down there to make up numbers. And we're going down there to um, to win, uh, but I think I think uh, what we the result that we saw yesterday, like it was, I think it was really hearty. Like um, if you reflect back, so we've just come off a, a six day turnaround, a storm wreck where we had two four day turnarounds, and then to put in a performance like we did yesterday was 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 outstanding. I thought um, we're running on on fumes at the moment, but um, we're going to freshen up over the next couple of days. And make sure that when we do that, Canterbury, we're hitting them with everything that we've got, and we're close to 100% as possible. So yeah, it's bloody yeah. exciting week for us. Oh, it is, mate. You got a you got a chance to to head down south. You've obviously had your first taste, mate. What what were the big lessons from from your um, round robin game against Canterbury? I thought before half time, I remember that game. You were well in it, and then just after half time, they just kind of got a bit of a lead on you. So, what were the lessons going from that game you could take forward to to this week to hopefully have give yourselves a better chance? Um, like uh, they're a very good team and. Uh, just in reflection, we felt they, they squeezed us out. They played smart rugby. They started winning those moments. And, and the first moment was when we um, uh, maybe we lost the, the aerial battle, um, maybe a penalty yeah. here or, or breakdown there. And it just um, we just lost the momentum in that game. 
So it's really just about making sure that we nail those moments um, and maintaining that momentum and, and putting pressure on them because, as you know, any team put under pressure can make can make mistakes and um, yeah, that's what we're, what we're planning on doing this week anyway versus Canterbury. Hey, George, you're heading, heading down there. Obviously a, a big ask um, playing Canterbury at home, but have you, have you sort of uh, forecast this final series? Have you got something special up your sleeve? Um, yeah, like uh, obviously we, we've, um, we need to review what we did yesterday, but um, yep. also preview what we're looking at doing against Canterbury. We've got a few things up our sleeve um, mm. just, to, just to put them off balance. Um, when, like Canterbury are a very good, uh, very good team if, they, if they've got structure. Um, to, to work from. So uh, we've just got a few things up our sleeve, like I said, just to throw them up. But we just really need to be physical, mate, um, and be ready for that for that battle, especially at the breakdown. So, uh, yeah, really mate, excited, as I said. Someone, someone I've been pretty impressed with this year, not only my uh, former player, Johnny Mathalai on the wing, the big man running down the right-hand side. I've enjoyed watching him, but Rivers Rehana, mate, obviously playing 10, and he's made, the, he's made the switch. He has been really impressive. What has he brought to, you, to, your, to your side that has really impressed you, and how influential will he need to be this week? Obviously, young kid playing on a big stage. Yeah, this is um, his second year with us. Um, mm. Like uh, and, and look, we were, um, we targeted him obviously because he's an orphan boy, but we know that he's got um, he's a real talent, and he can bring um, um, a lot of X factor to to the game, and also more so uh, this year. It's been composure. He's making really good decisions. He's got really had really con- consistent performances, um, both on and off the ball. Um, and he brings a real composure to our to our game when he when he's um, been given good front football. So we just need to make sure that we we support him and anybody else that are in those driving positions to um, put ourselves in good positions on the field just so that we can we can stri- strike and unleash. Yeah, nice mate. I've been yeah really impressed with uh, how he's made some gains this season. Just on the format, George, uh, how have you enjoyed the the new format? Odds and evens. H- have you have the boys really taken to it? And and so I've just spoken about it before. It's really stimulated the competition. I thought it's brought a bit of evenness to it and uh, really reinvigorated. It, I feel is that the same with you? Yeah, like it's um, was it um, before the season started? We weren't quite sure how things uh, how the format was going to go, but obviously it's really stimulated the competition. Like we're starting to play um, the bigger teams like uh, more consistently, but um, it, it's a real it's a real challenge, mate. Uh, week in week out, it's been brutal, eh? So ten games yeah. in nine weeks, um, but um, you really need to be on song and. Um, you have to be prepared before you go into the competition, otherwise you're going to get knocked around. Um, I think injuries play play a big part in any any team preparation, but uh, thankfully we've been on the right side of that ledger, mate. But um, I think it's been really exciting, eh? Watching some of the, the games in the other yeah. in the other rounds. Um, yeah, it's um, it really added some spice to the competition. I feel. I've watched a, a fair bit of. Um the Tanifas, George, and, and you just talk about the competition and how, um, I guess, how punishing it is over that short period. What's the depth like coming through? I, I watched a, a couple of younger grades, a younger kid called Sage Walters Hanson was going all right. What, have you got good kids coming through like that? Yeah, we have, like, um, 
what with the squad that we selected this year, we really uh, we needed to have a good core group of experienced players, and uh, so we've got about ten players that have played over fifty games. But um, also on the on the other side of that, we've got we really wanted to bring some players through, some young players, um, just so that we can future proof the union. But also get, uh, these guys are good enough to play ABC, so um, it's really important that we gave them game time this year. Young players like, um, and I don't want to single out individuals, but young players like Hidemaya Murray and Rob Rush, you know, um, that have come through the grade, that are playing consistently well during EPC. But there's also other players like Sam McNamara who have been around for a while. He's only 24, so it's becoming a young man's game. But it's really exciting, eh? You know, seeing these guys come through, but giving them realistic game time, not five or two minutes off the bench. That's not going to achieve anything. So when we when we make those changes, hopefully you know we're giving them fifteen plus minutes um, just to try and uh, give them some experience going into into the rest of their careers. You know, a good pathway from club rugby. Yeah, Rob Rush, big name that we've heard uh, many times on our show there, Kempe. Someone even picked them to go forward and be a bolter at the next year's World Cup, I remember, not so long ago. So there you go. There's a name to remember. Wow. George Courtney, obviously, yeah, mate, someone said he might be a bolter. We were asking for bolters, and Rob Rush, I remember his name came up. Anyway, George, I touched on it earlier. You were my first coach, mate. How have you, how have you enjoyed your little journey, your little ride over the last couple of years, mate? And, and uh you know, from where you started, we at, at the moment, you must be pretty happy. Are you enjoying the ride, mate? Yeah, it's um, like as you said, Izzy. Uh, <laughs> come back from Japan, retired from rugby over there as a player, and I'm come back, yeah. went back to Hawke's Bay, thinking that I was just going to go into a teaching role. Um, then uh, Brendan Ratcliffe asked if I could help out at a training, and ended up falling into coaching, mate. So um, that was way <laughs> back in 1995. Um, uh, sorry, 2005. I was going to say, I'm um, not that old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I feel like it's sometimes been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, mate, in this game. But um, yeah. no, I've really enjoyed my time. I've been very fortunate and um, I keep on reminding myself that it's still an honour and a privilege to be part of this game, um, to, be, to be part of, of special teams like, like the Tarifa. Um so starting in Hawke's Bay, um, having a bit of a coaching career in Japan and coming back again, mate. So it's been a, a hell of a ride. But um, me and my family have really enjoyed the experience. Um, yeah, it's very fortunate, mate. Um, there are worse jobs to do in this world, but um, being, yeah. being a rugby coach is one of the highlights of my life, probably. Yeah, beautiful, George, mate. Uh, it's been awesome to watch your journey and, and what you've been able to do with this Northland team. I've just had a quick message coming through late from Eden. He said, hey, lads, hey, lads, could you ask George about Tama Anderson, absolute young gun coming through the ranks in the Northland squad? Yeah, so um, so uh, beginning of the season, Tama was brought in as an apprentice uh, and he was in for yep. four weeks. He, like, he was a, one of the form players coming out of club rugby first year out of high school. Um, played for Hoda Hoda Rugby Club um, and yep. earned his uh, his, his development contract. Um, we were so impressed with him uh, when he came into the first four, four weeks. He ended up staying on full time with us. Um, so he's been in and out. He had some game time during NPC. A real young talent and a really exciting future ahead of that boy. Um, yeah, good man too, good character. I think he's going to go a long way. 
Beautiful. Tama Anderson, there's a name to watch. George Cornier, thank you for that message, Eden. Hey, uh, George, really appreciate your time, mate, and uh, go well. Go well. No doubt you'll have some sort of theme. I'm surprised Kempi hasn't asked you what your theme is this week, but no doubt you'll have some surprises to throw at Canterbury down here in Otatahi Christchurch, mate. Appreciate your time. Go well and, and all the best. Sure, For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.